Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour underway. Glad you're with us. Tuesday edition of OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. All of our great partners across uh, the radio platform as well, like Sports Radio 104.7. We're Somo Sports Radio. Say hello to Fox Sports Shoals as well. All smart stations. All of them. No doubt. No doubt. Say hello to Muscle Shoals in uh, Florence, Alabama, Huntsville. We say hello to John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, uh, who recently uh, retired. He had John McClain Day last week. I mean, it's been a parade of all parades, and, and rightfully so, for the, uh, the Hall of Famer. You can see his name in the hall in Canton, and he joins us now, and he joins us every week at this time. John, how are you? Doing great, guys. I faced something on Sunday that I never thought I would have to face, and I got to tell you, anytime I've been on radio, TV, any broadcast, making speeches, acting, you know, cameos with some famous people through the decades, I've never been nervous. On Sunday, I was nervous. I was honored by the Houston Rockets. It was their last game, Fan Appreciation Day. And they have a thing before every game called First Shot for Charity. And they bring in somebody famous, usually a former athlete, Vince Young, Carl Lewis, DeAndre Hopkins. There's been so many have taken that first shot. And I knew about it. I just didn't know it was right before tip-off. They asked me if I would shoot the free throw. I said, sure. Hadn't been in my driveway on my goal in 15 years. Dug through the garage, got my old basketballs deflated. Went to the store, paid $51 for a basketball. I thought that's a lot more expensive than I lost, bought one in 2000. And so they, uh, I said, do you, will you take a return? Do you have a return policy? And the little girl goes, uh, no. And they tried to sell me a $7.95 insurance package in case something <laughs> happened to the ball. I said, well, I only need it for five days. So I practiced in the driveway. My arm about fell off. And so I get to uh, the Toyota Center early. And they asked me if I want to take some practice shots. And I said, ah, sure, okay. I didn't know it was going to be until the players had left the court to go back to the locker room. And fans were almost filled the stadium. So I practiced 10 free throws, four air balls, five clanks, and then I make the last one. And the fans give me a huge ovation. And I said, can you guys take that one? And they said, no. So when the time came, I'm standing there holding my ball. I'm watching them do the introductions, the national anthem. And they said, okay, we're ready for you. And I'm like, holy bleep. So I walk out to midcourt. I've got to wave to people while they're introducing me. And I, people are really nice. Then I walk up to the free throw line. There's people behind me. There's people lined up. I don't look at anything but the rim because I didn't want to 
do like Vince Young and Carl Lewis and shoot air balls. So I knew I need to get my big butt in it. So I bounced the ball five times, bent my knee, shot, clanked it off the rim. People give me a, an ovation for not shooting an air yes. ball. <laughs> and uh, it was an incredible experience. Then I was sitting next to the owner, Tillman, Tillman Fertitta, and I'm sitting there with him and his son, Patrick, who who runs the team for him. And then all of a sudden, I look up in the third quarter, and there's cameras wanting me to stand up, sign a couple of balls, throw them to people, and they do a video tribute to me on the big screens. And I'm looking up, and I say, well, the good thing is nobody's going to recognize me because that was 150 pounds ago. <laughs> and I was just blown away by the experience and I had a blast, but I'm just so glad I didn't shoot an air ball. Like I said, my free throw was pathetic, and I gave myself an F minus. I was on the edge of my seat for that story as much as anything you've ever told us, praying that you at least hit iron. And if it's better than Vince Young, that is great. It's like throwing out, have you thrown out a first pitch before, John? Well, how would you compare it? Uh, no, I've never thrown out a first pitch. That's but, next. Um, I, uh, I, I, the whole experience standing out there with all the players and I'm, they're all standing there watching because they wanted the old fat guy to make the free throw <laughs> or not totally embarrass himself. And I was proud to say, I did not embarrass myself. I Great think that's job. a huge win. If you draw iron and don't just either airball or break it off the backboard and nothing else, that's a win in that setting. Yeah. Well done, John. And I have a feeling that you're going to be doing this at an Astros game soon. Yeah, I do too. That'll be harder to prepare for. You're going to have to get Carol some catcher's gear and uh, the whole nine yards. Walk off when I met, 60 feet. When I'm, she, excuse me, Paul. When I met Carol, she was working at a law firm as paralegal. She was the only woman playing on her company's softball team, and she was a catcher. And one of the reasons I liked her is we could play catch. I could throw the ball and or we could play football, throw the football, or we could shoot baskets because she was a good athlete. And I don't think she would do that. I've not heard from the Astros, but I have heard from the Texans. They have something planned, I think, after the draft. So I'm happy to do what anybody needs me to do. I'm living the life. I tell everybody I've only retired from the Chronicle. I'm still doing my 10 talk shows in six cities including outkick every Tuesday. We're going to see you like uh, Andy Reid with the punt, pass, and kick video. That's what we're going to see with you in the text. <laughs> every time they talk to John McClain, it's going to go to that old footage, that grainy footage of you getting ready for the free throw uh, at, yeah. the, at the Rockets game. It's going to be perfect. Uh, John, I was hoping I searched the Rockets Twitter account praying no, that this was on, and then they did not post it, unfortunately. No, if you made bad. it, they would have posted it, and we would have all been able to It'd see this. Viral. So maybe it's better off. You're better off not making the shot. Well, they emailed me all the things they shot, and I haven't opened it because I was there. And the Chronicle people and everybody else took enough videos from every angle. Fans were posting, and and uh, only thing I'm glad about is I didn't slip, and I didn't fall asleep, and I didn't shoot an air ball. <laughs> John, um, is Malik Willis going to be the first quarterback selected in the NFL draft two weeks from Thursday? Guys, it's amazing the way it's such a mediocre quarterback class. Now they're talking about four or five going in the first round. Teams will overdraft them. Malik Willis, you know, he's looked he looked good in the senior bowl practices. And then all these guys look so good and sound so good in shorts and t-shirts. And we say this every year. And there's talk now of Detroit taking Malik Willis second overall, I believe it. 
when I see it, the Texans pick third overall. They're open a team like Carolina will be desperate for Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. I can't imagine you trade up that high for a guy who's supposed to sit out a year, but that that was the plan last year with Trey Lance in San Francisco. And so maybe somebody will do that. And I think you're better off. Take your lumps. Next year, the quarterback draft should be outstanding, led by Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud if they come out as underclassmen, as most predict. You know there's going to be a team that reaches. I keep thinking Carolina is the team that drafts early, and they, they're the ones that start. Maybe, maybe Atlanta shocks everybody and drafts quarterback there. I don't know. But Carolina's been trying to land someone. to And, and, and you could argue whoever they end up drafting could be better than Sam Darnold. And by the time he starts in two years, it might be for a new head coach. Matt <laughs> well, Will's that's under fair. tremendous pressure going into his third season. The media people I've talked to over there think he's a dead man walking. And But if you draft a rookie quarterback and he sits or you're going to play him at the end of the year, that usually buys you some yeah. time, gives you an excuse for losing. Now, Lovey Smith went to Tampa. They had the worst record in the league. Then they drafted Jameis Winston, first overall, spot ahead of Marcus Mariota. And then he they improved by four victories and went six and ten. Lovey got fired after two seasons because they wanted Dirk Cutter, the offensive coordinator, to take over. Uh, the head coaching because they thought he'd do better with Winston. So uh, it doesn't always buy you an extra year, but Matt Rule, they've tried to get Deshaun Watson for two, going back to when he first said he wanted to be traded. And then they paid dearly to get Sam Darnold and he's bombed out. So, you know, I'll say this, at least they continue to try. So I think it's going to be Carolina that takes the first quarterback, whether they trade up, or stay at number six. If you're a team in need of a quarterback, John, just generally speaking, philosophically, and Peter King used uh, the Chiefs as an example. They weren't good enough with Matt Castle. They went and dealt for Alex Smith, who got them to a certain level of respectability before they were in position to go find Patrick Mahomes. Do, do you believe in that middle guy and that, that kind of step quarterback? Or the way the league is now, should you assemble the best roster you can until you get your crack to go for the guy, which it seems like in the league now is the only way you're going to compete is, is taking your stab at a guy, which makes the top picks in next year's draft exceedingly valuable. Paul, as you know, Chiefs were a playoff team. Alex Smith was a good mentor as well. If you're going to draft a guy and have him ride the bench, you want to make sure that that guy's a good mentor. When Steve McNair was a rookie in Houston in, in uh, 1995, uh, Chris Chandler, the starter, was not a good mentor for McNair, which he later admitted. And so you want a situation to help that rookie make as smooth a transition as possible, and that may be off the field. Now, Mahomes was mature because uh, beyond his years because his dad was a, an athlete and his uncle was an athlete. And they had, came from an athletic family, and that worked out perfectly. But so many of them don't. They bomb out. Usually they bomb out to me because of the team, because of the instability. The owner's in a hurry, fires the coach, bring in a new coordinator, change systems. 
I think if somebody wants Malik Willis, who has the most upside of these quarterbacks, you take him, you go in with the idea he's going to watch and learn. That's what it was going to be with Davis Mills and the Texans last year when they made him their first pick, third round. He wasn't going to play till December, and then he had to play because uh, Tyrod Taylor got hurt. And I think if you want a quarterback to play as a rookie, Kenny Pickett a pit has the most experience. Um, now, last year, Kellen Mond had by far the most starting experience of any quarterback. He never saw the field behind Kirk Cousins. So I'm not sure how it'll go, but I do feel strongly, based on everything we've heard and seen, Willis is going to be the first quarterback because he's got great arm. He's mobile. They love his personality, his leadership. And uh, and I think Kenny Pick will be second. Now you're seeing people talking about Matt Corral, rising through the ranks. So it's going to be fun to watch. But when all said and done, I think probably if you draft five in the first round, probably three of them will bomb out with the team that drafted them and maybe more. John, what, where does all this leave Baker Mayfield and where he's going to land? I'll tell you what I'd do, Chad Lack. Uh, I would hang on to him unless somebody like Seattle made me an offer and put a conditional draft choice in there based on what his accomplishments are, as happened as Carson Wentz the last two years. And I've had people up there in the media say, okay, tell me again how it worked with Deshaun Watson last year, getting paid and coming to work, but not being active like that could be a possibility for Mayfield. Now, starters are going to get hurt. You know, if they don't get a good offer, hang on to him, wait and see what happens in preseason or early in regular season, and then get what you can get for him before the trading deadline in early November. He's not going to cause problems for them because he wants a new destination. He doesn't want anything bad on his resume beyond the field. And remember, two seasons ago in 2020, he played through for almost 4,000 yards. They were 11 and 5. They won a playoff game. And it was not an issue till the second game last season against the Texans in Cleveland. He threw an interception. He went and dove in to make a tackle and came up with his left shoulder dragging because he had. He had hurt that. He was never the same. And people go, well, that's his left one. He doesn't throw with his left one. Yeah, but you don't throw the ball with one hand. So I think whoever gets Mayfield, no matter how preposterous his quarterback contract demand is, I think they're going to be getting quarterback, not a superstar, but a guy who can definitely win the division and take his team to the playoffs, which he's done. John, there's always value in top 10 picks, top 15 picks. Where is the value this year? Where are the franchise stalwarts this year? Pass rush, offensive tackle. Where do you point to in this draft? And is it worth a top 15 selection this year? Is the value the same this year for the top of this draft? Jonathan, it's not. When you don't have quarterbacks worth trading up for, you're not going to make any big deals. What you have to hope for, and this happens all the time, is say the, say the Texans are picking 13th and Kenny Pickett's not gone. And New Orleans wants to move up a few spots to get him and they give the Texans a pick next year. And I think you'll see that. But right now, is there one position player that is so good you say, man, I'll trade a one this year, a one next year, and maybe a two or three? I don't see it. I don't see it anywhere in this draft. 
you got to take that depressed offer anyway, right? Uh, do you imagine people sticking to their guns on what their chart says? Or they say, hey, I can move back three picks here and get something in a draft that's, that's not as valuable, and you're going to take somebody I don't want anyway. I'm going to take it. I think this is going to be where different people – have different interest and grades on certain players. And we can't target who it is. If you like a corner, is it Sauce Gardner who's ready to play? Derek Stingley might be able to play coming off of two years of injuries at LSU, ran into four threes last week. And so it just depends. That beauty in the eye of the beholder. It might be three picks before you, and you say, that guy is the highest rate on our board. Let's move to get him. But I don't think right now you can say that about anybody, including me Hudson, who everybody thinks is going to go first overall to uh, Jacksonville. They're not going to screw that pick up, are they? <laughs> if anybody could, Jonathan, that would be the Jaguars. Maybe they would. Like when they took Blake Bortles, remember that nobody – Right. Nobody. There was never one whisper that they were going to take Bortles. Then they did, and I'll guarantee you they're sorry they did. Tom, sometimes if you can get Aiden Hutchinson, and there's people talking about uh, Trayvon Walker, the right. Georgia defensive end, defensive tackle, going first overall. Well, if you believe that strongly in him, take him. But, like, Kayvon Thibodeau's getting mocked to the Texans a lot. When you're third, you can't have a question about a player. And his questions are real. The question is, why didn't he play hard on every down? Now, he may go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but when you're picking third, you can't have a question mark. You take one of the great prospects who is safe, and it doesn't matter what the position is. And I think there will be some jockeying in the first round because some teams will like other teams better, and so they'll be willing to give it up. I don't know if we'll say first-round pick next year and a first-round pick this year and plus additional picks traded for any prospect in this draft. I, I want everyone to chime in here on my dilemma personally, like my inner dilemma about this draft because I'm trying not to trick myself into thinking that there will not be teams that draft these quarterbacks higher than where they should go. This is not a great quarterback draft, but I keep telling myself, Hut, that the top 10 selections, I'm looking at Atlanta and Carolina, looking at Detroit, like th those teams are going to be the teams that are so desperate. No matter who's on the board, they look at quarterback first and foremost, and I keep telling myself, on, on draft night, it will be treated as a stunner when every single year we see teams chase the quarterback position no matter what type of class it is. Mitchell Trubisky went number two overall, for instance. Like, There's always going to be that guy that a team chases because of an interview or because they fall in love throughout the draft process, no matter where these guys are actually truly slotted. I keep telling myself that internally but then I look at the mocks and I see all these guys going lower than where my head is telling me they're going to go on that Thursday night. I think if you want a quarterback and you like more than one, you should trade down. And But you're right. Somebody's going to reach up. Remember 2013, one quarterback went in the first round, E.J. Manuel to Buffalo. He was a humongous bust. Yeah. Now, this draft's going to be better than that one. Here. And maybe 
Maybe Malik Willis will turn out to be really good. Maybe Kenny Pickett will show progress as a rookie, be a solid starter his second year. Matt Corral coming off the ankle injury in a sugar bowl against Baylor. Maybe if he'd have been able to work out through the entire offseason, he'd be the top-rated guy. Desmond Ritter, people are talking yeah. about him in the first round. So, yes, I think there's going to be at least four, and the teams that take them will be desperate. But i tell you what, if I'm Jacksonville and I'm Detroit – and, and I'm the Jets, I go ahead and be really bad again because if you're Jacksonville and you don't need a quarterback, but, man, C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young's there, think of the haul you could get. Same thing if you're Detroit. Detroit will need one. The Jets hopefully will not need one because of Zach Wilson. But, man, the ammunition you would get for trading down for a quarterback like that compared to this year, and if you're going to be bad, be like the Jaguars. Be all the way bad. Sure. And, and Paul, there is an example. For every for every reason to expect the quarterbacks to go high, there are always examples of where the quarterbacks don't. And last week you were mentioning that there there is an example of the last time we didn't see a quarterback go in the first round. Yeah, it's about uh, 25 years ago. Uh, 25 drafts ago, no quarterback went in round one. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. So t- Tiger Woods' is first – Masters victory was 25 years ago. 97. That's the, that's the last time we've seen a quarterback not go round one. Yeah, this was wow. 96. No quarterback selected in the first round. Um, 26. I think Tony Banks might have been the first quarterback. I, I'm with you. I don't think one should be. I think first one should be six. I think Atlanta might show restraint because, listen, these guys, unless we're totally missing, and everybody's totally missing, you are wishing it into existence, I think. And you can't take them – you just can't force it. What you need is a big-time guy. And know, these don't look like they're going to be big-time guys. So just wait and build up your team elsewhere and wait until you got a crack at the big-time but, but guy. But, John, here's, my, here's why I keep thinking we're going to see some teams reach. Because there's too many teams, like you're describing, that are willing to suck for two guys right now for next year's draft, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. There's too many teams that are going to be bad. And there's a couple of teams that are going to be bad but not bad enough – like the Falcons. I think the Falcons will win six or seven games, and that's not getting them into the discussion next year of a top quarterback. Not unless you trade up. And I'll tell you this, because you have a GM and a head coach who has stability and an owner who doesn't go out and get rid of coaches every two years, I could see the Falcons uh, – being smart about this, I think, Paul, as you just said, taking the best player, you know, they need another, they need a receiver. They're desperate for a receiver, desperate for running backs. If you have a young quarterback and you can't do anything for him, you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah, I agree. Next it, year's third guy's got to be more accurate than Ritter. Next year's fifth guy has got to have a better knee than Carson Strong. That that's I, what I, I where was where was Deshaun Kaiser drafted overall? Yeah, too high. Second. So someone's going to get desperate and take yeah, well, someone that doesn't belong in that spot. But, but to what you guys are saying, like just to back up your point, the Falcons were extremely patient last year with the same regime when they took Kyle Pitts instead of going quarterback when there was a run on them right there. I think they'll do it so again. They, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Or, or maybe they love one. Or they, they and could, if he's there, they'll take but him, they, but they won't take yeah, the second one. Right. They won't force the second right. Hey, Tony Banks, 42nd overall, right? was the first quarterback off That's the board remarkable. in 1996. We need to do a bigger segment on yeah. that. Oh, we'll set sure. that aside. Uh, coming up, uh, former first-round pick, Dwayne Haskins, 
uh, died over the weekend uh, while uh, he was hit by a dump truck on the interstate in Florida. We'll get John's reaction to that and his reaction to the way it was handled by a couple of media members in their reporting of this initially, followed by apologies. John McClain with us for another long segment of NFL's discussion next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'll kick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody, the wonderful John McClain with us. You can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, you, there's, there's always those double take tweets when news breaks where you just you have to reread it to see if like did I just read that right? That was me waking up to the Dwayne Haskins news, um, learning that he had died when he was uh, struck and and killed by a dump truck while crossing the interstate in Florida at six thirty in the morning. Uh, details are very slim right now on on exactly what we know. Uh, but just a sad, a sad story for a guy who was trying to earn a, at least, at the very least, a backup role in Pittsburgh uh, after not being able to hold, hold on, being the 15th overall selection in Washington, and had a great season in Ohio State, beating out Joe Burrow for that backup job, and eventually became the starter. It was a tragedy. Everybody was shocked when they heard about it. I'm still eager to see the details about why he was trying to cross a major interstate there. And I've been by there a lot on my way to the Fort Lauderdale airport, and I can't imagine anybody trying to cross it. But yeah. there's much more to the story that everybody wants to know what it is. And the police, of course, are conducting an investigation. Feel terrible for his family. I can't remember if he has a fiance or he just got married. He was down there working out with his Steeler teammates, some of skill position players i know they were shocked as everyone else it's just a tragedy yeah and he, he was married and uh someone else that was questioning you know why he was running across the interstate was gil brandt uh in some unfortunate comments john i know you know gil well uh that was a bad moment for him in that interview when he went to that level of detail and described Dwayne haskins a guy who just experienced a tragedy with someone that young dying as someone who was living to die I'm guessing that once Gil said that and realized, took another look at it, he's like, "Woo, what did I just say? And of course, he issued a quick uh, apology. I've never heard Gil say anything like that before. He's 90 years old. He's been around uh, since 1959 when the Cowboys hired him. He's been a great ambassador to players in the NFL uh, for decades. And I know nobody feels worse about that than Gil Brandt does. You know, John, it was tough to tell if Adam Schefter cared at all about his mistake uh, when it first happened, when he just deleted it. Um, I thought he did as good a job as you can coming back yesterday with his, his tribute to Dwayne Haskins, where he put the audio out of, of everything that you know, should have been said about Dwayne Haskins. But Adam Schefter's a guy you know well. Uh, I know you've worked with and known him for years. I've actually met Adam through you at a Super Bowl at one point. 
He is clearly very good at breaking news across the NFL, but this is not one, not two, but three big mistakes uh, from a journalistic standpoint and just what's right uh, on his Twitter account. And this is fresh off signing a $9 million a year contract at ESPN. So what do you make of the latest mishap with Adam Schefter? Well, I just did his podcast yesterday, which I noticed he posted this morning, and I've known Adam, we figured up yesterday, 32 years. And sometimes, and people say, well, you're making excuses for him, and I am, because I know him, I like him, I respect him, because he's best in the business. But sometimes when you tweet a lot, and you try to get things up first, and Dwayne Haskins' agent told him about it, and he tweeted, he made his mistake of saying who struggled to make two teams, and people went ballistic. And uh, sometimes, you know, you need to read two or three times before you push sin. I know I always do that. And I still make mistakes. And when I do, I just say I'm an idiot or I'm a moron. And uh, in fact, I just screwed up a text during a commercial. I had to text back, I'm an idiot. I apologize. It's not the first time, won't be the last. But to me, people make mistakes. And if you realize you do and you apologize, there's nothing else you can do. John, shifting uh, to, to Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is going to be dealing with some new receivers here. We all know it. Devontae Adams is, is gone. Uh, Sc- Scantling is gone. Lazard is his chief, chief guy. They're going to draft people, and he's not going to be there for, for OTAs. He's only going to, to the minicamp. Am I wrong to think – at this stage of his career, with the contract that he just signed, it's not asking much to expect Aaron Rodgers to be in Green Bay and to be at these voluntary sessions to build the chemistry that's going to be a key to this team's success on offense in a year where the expectation again is going to be a Super Bowl for the Packers, who have consistently been coming up short. You know. Matt LaFleur wants him there. You can't make him. It's all volunteered. It's going to be so many new receivers, including I'm guessing they'll draft two, and they may sign an undrafted guy. They may sign another veteran free agent, and nothing is more important than a quarterback working out with his receivers. Now, I'm guessing Rodgers, with all that money, will be working out with them. Either they'll fly to him, to California, or wherever he lives, or sometime they'll report early, not to the Packers, but report to him, and he'll work out a lot with them. And But I think it's got to be driving people up there crazy that he's not going to do it. But they surely can't be surprised because he's always marched to a different drummer. But I'll bet you when the season starts, they're still going to run away with the division. He's still going to throw between 35 and 40 touchdown passes, no matter who's playing wide receiver. John, you know and, and covered firsthand Bob McNair trying to acquire Houston and get the NFL back in Houston. Take us through the process of a team for sale. And for, for instance, Denver is why I'm bringing this up, where Rob Walton, the heir to Sam Walton's uh, fortune with Walmart, um, is reportedly going to make a four-plus billion-dollar offer for the Broncos, which would qualify him to be considered for ownership of Denver. Aside from just the ownership vote, explain what it takes for owners to get behind someone to join their fraternity of ownership. 
Now, you brought up Bob McNair. I'll give him an example. He had let the NFL know way before the Oilers left here that if a franchise ever came open, he would be interested. And he opened up his books to the finance committee. They liked everything about him. When uh, Miami was available to be bought, they called him. He looked into it. He didn't like the fact that Wayne Izinga was going to sell the team but still control the stadium. And in Washington, think how different this would have been. They contacted him about Washington, but he didn't want to. He he didn't want to have a team up there when he lived in Houston. They contacted him about St. Louis, the expansion teams. So if you if you've got enough money, remember, you got to be thirty percent liquid. You got to have that money in cash. Now that goes back to when franchises were worth a few hundred million. It seems like they would have changed that today. But, you know, they want as many billions as they can get. And um, I think they would love in Denver to have black ownership. I think that's important to the league, but you can't make the bowling, both families and the, and the three people that control the trust sell to somebody that's not the best possible deal. And the NFL has shown for decades they're going to get some real doozies as owners because just because you make a fortune – Away from football in real business doesn't mean you can run your franchise. Too many owners are doofuses. And I think this one, if he gives the best offer, they'll take it. He'll have to come up with 30%, and then they'll move on. But uh, it today, if you're not a multi-billionaire, don't even apply. Serious, serious revelations slash accusations coming out through Congress uh, against the commanders and their financial honesty with regard to visiting uh, their, their percentage of gate for, to, to go into the visiting pool. Uh, if you're ranking uh, sexual harassment and workplace environment stuff that's come out against Washington, um, potential uh, orders to try to lose games for, to Brian Flores in Miami, and messing with people's money um, out of Washington, how do you think that ranks for other owners, and, and how serious is this going to come down in Daniel Snyder's survival? Well, Paul, you know that owners, if you start messing with their bank account, that's what's going to make them mad. If you have sexual misconduct charges and you pay $10 million and you tell the owner he's got to back away for a year, you know that doesn't hit them in the pocketbook. And so, but Dan Snyder, man, oh man, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they don't try to make him sell like Jerry Richardson sold before the posse came to town that uh, to keep from having to force him out, it would require three quarters of the vote force out an owner. And I don't think Snyder's got many friends in the NFL. Maybe he's out there trying to, you know, twist some, twist some elbows and bend them way behind you, doing everything you can to get in a certain owner's good graces. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's gone before Stephen Ross. It, it, he may not have a lot of friends, but his, the other owners may know that he knows about them, right? Like they, they don't want him running his mouth if he's not a part of their fraternity, so they stay silent on it. Paul's right, though. You, you, you dip into the pocketbooks of the rest of the league, that's how you get their attention. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the mutually assured destruction part of it, that if I go down, you all go down too, because I know of things 
that have gone on with your teams as well that will get out in the public if so. Um, that, that could be his only saving grace at this point. John, I'm watching this show on Showtime with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, super pumped, and Kyle Chandler about the battle for Uber. And there is a scene where they're investigating Uber, and Eric Holder is the attorney that's investigating them and comes in with this stack of papers, confidential findings of Uber and all the misdeeds of Uber as a company and puts it down on the table. And I'm watching this and thinking, this has to be the same thing with the Washington Commanders that happens with everyone there. That was one employee at Uber that was a whistleblower that gave all of this information over and a couple of other people. These are 40 employees that are a part of this that are speaking out. Their code words like juice, two books on everything. They kept two separate books, one real book, one fake one. They were funneling money through a Kenny Chesney concert and through a Navy Notre Dame football game at that stadium. I would just like to give it up for Washington for giving us uh, some some uh, enjoyment with all the craziness around this story. And that's separate of the sexual assault stuff. This is all just financial misdeeds, that organization. I mean, it is remarkable the links that Daniel Snyder went to uh, to break the rules and do bad things. It's really crazy. I've never seen an owner, I don't think, and there have been a lot who were hated. But the way Daniel Snyder has run what was one of the greatest franchises in sports history into the ground to where now it's one of the worst. If I were him, I would sell, take my billions, and disappear before they can get you. And if you're going to level charges, you better have proof. Like Brian Flores, he better have proof, whether it's text messages, DMs, emails, calls, that Stephen Ross made him those offers. Otherwise, he said, he said, he said. But that thing with Washington, it just keeps getting more gruesome. And you wonder, what else is out there? John, uh, finally, it, it, I bring this up because it's going to impact the, potentially impact the playoff race. What we've learned is unless the civil cases go to trial in, by July of this year, they will not go to trial with Deshaun Watson until March of 2023, which means it will not impact this upcoming season with Cleveland, right? Yeah, unless they're settled. I still can't believe the Browns, before they gave him $230 million guaranteed, wouldn't tell him, we want assurances from you. You're going to settle these cases. Now, I think this move they just made tells me they're working on settlements. Now, if they don't get them settled, and I don't care if you get 5, 10, 15, they had 18 agreed on by uh, the November 1st before the November 2nd treat deadline, and they couldn't get the last four. Stephen Ross demanded all 22 be settled. So maybe they settle 18 and go to court with four. That could be four separate trials. And if they don't get this done, every time somebody writes about Deshaun Watson, next season or broadcasts about him. They're going to be talking about these 22 civil suits. And a lot of people say, well, if they get around to this happening in 2023, he doesn't have a 1.08 million base salary. He's got a much bigger base salary and any suspension would cost him millions. But the Browns could redo his contract again and lower that base salary if they want to. Yeah. They've given him plenty of reason to settle now. Uh, based on the way the the contract is written. You're right. John, thank you as always, and we will catch up with you soon. Great to see you. Go shoot some free throws. Jonathan Paulin. 
Jonathan, Paul, and Chad like. Thank you as always. <laughs> Thanks, John. He gives us the free throw can motion. You picture him in his the driveway. Larry Bird. Yes, I actually oh, can. I absolutely can. I can. I, I just love that image. I see him like Ollie in Hoosiers, like with that type of form, <laughs> where he goes to the granny shop between the legs, but it's the backspin on it, where he's just trying to place it on the back of the rim and it just rolls in. How many at a time before a drink of water? We think. Um. Ten. I think John's someone that pushes it to limit like Armando does and just doesn't drink water and <laughs> all dehydrates our football himself. Guys, all our football guys, yeah, these guys are anti-water. These guys go hard. There's no time for water when you're going hard. John's out there with moonshine. Yeah, no water for John. Hard to steal signs in college baseball or in Major League Baseball. We'll tell you why and what's been implemented next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So, Major League Baseball and college baseball are trying the same thing out. But in different ways, Paul. Outkick 360 rolls on. I don't know much about the college system. Uh, I have the details system. of that. I, I saw a pretty thorough look at the pro uh, MLB's system. I can't remember the name of it. But uh, a lot of catchers are wearing it on their thigh as opposed to their wrist. They punch in the, the pitch. I don't know about the location. I, I think the location, too, though, they may be showing the location. It broadcasts something that the pitcher hears. Also, the middle infielders and the center fielder, if they want it. In the Yankees-Red Sox series, the catcher was putting it in quickly enough that the pitcher was getting it on his way back to the mound, and the Red Sox were complaining that the pitcher was ready too fast. Here's my, my pace of game, Chad. We talked about this last week. So the Red Sox want to slow things down. The batter didn't have enough time to prepare for the pitcher being ready so early. Well, if this were the Yankees doing this, you'd be on their no, side. No, I'm against any, anybody the not Sox, being ready. So the no, Red Sox. I'm against anybody not being ready. I mean, I understand it might be, take a little bit of an adjustment, but what do you have to get ready for? Step in the box and be ready for the pitch. This is my plea to baseball. I want baseball to be faster. What, so, it, what does it matter what pitch is coming? Isn't, in the box just be ready one more, isn't this just one more route for Major League Baseball players to cheat? Well, what Once they start robbing with? the signal? That someone's going to tap into that signal and be able to have so here's what they're doing in college. know what's going on. College, they have what they're calling an electronic display board. There's a company that does this, and Vanderbilt did this. The Vanderbilt pitching coach sits in a dugout with something on his wrist. It looks like an old calculator watch that you weren't allowed to have in elementary school, and he types in numbers, and those numbers can, are, are sent to a wristband that Catch. all nine players are wearing. Everybody has. Everybody's wearing it. So you all look down, and then it's a three-inch in, in length screen on a wristband. These numbers pop up, and the numbers coincide with the pitch and the pitch location, which tells the outfielders, the infielders, where to line up and where to expect the ball, if the, if the batter's expected to swing early, late, where the catcher's going to set up. Uh, it tells the pitcher what type of pitch to throw and where to locate the baseball. Uh, catcher's... In, in essence, will not give a signal to a pitcher all season. And there's no microphone. There's no earpiece. 
everybody's wearing the same wristband, and the pitching coach in the dugout types in, just like a calculator, 374, enter. And that tells them the pitch and the location. Now, Aaron Boone said somewhere during this opening series against the Red Sox, we have some things to iron out, but I think we'll keep using it, which makes it sound like this is optional thing for you. It's not mandated. So some teams may go old school. The other thing I really like about, uh, you mentioned the earpiece, it made me think of the broadcast. I like that the umpire, the chief um, the, the chief of the umpires, now has to announce to the crowd yes. replay reviews. So and, smart. And example, like a description of why and what's going on. Instead of safe or out, you have to explain what you saw or what you're hearing about on the phone. I like it, and I also like that you've got players mic'd up, not just for All-Star games, but more often during the game. Joey Votto was yeah. terrific in the opener with the Braves and Reds, joking with Ozzy Albies, telling him, hey, I've got a mic on me. You want to say hi to everyone? He leaned right into his chest, said, hello, everyone. And they're talking to each other back and forth. That, I mean, some diehards, old school, will probably hate it, but over the course of one of 162 games, I'm fine with it for an inning. How about this? I think it's great. Here's a stolen home run that wasn't a stolen home run that wound up a stolen home run. Same Houston State. I don't know who they're playing. Guy hits a dinger. Center fielder looks like he's stolen it. It's one of those things where it takes a long while to figure out if he has right. it or not. The runner thinks he stole it and so peels off out of the baseline, is called out, even though the guy didn't catch the ball and it fell over the fence. And he was called out? Called out because he basically abandoned the baseline. Uh, speaking, speaking of Chad's Braves, the World Series rings are something to behold. They always are. These are really cool. And terrible reviews for Major League Baseball's debut on Apple+. Plus. Details on that next. <laughs> 